Welcome to the Positive Pastor Podcast. My name is Pastor Eric and I'm your host today. And today we are continuing our series on being after God's own heart, lessons from the life of King David. We are on part two of a two-part sermon on the fall of King David. Of course, this is on his uh, famous fall with uh, Bathsheba and all the things that followed that. Before we get into that, I I came across a, a story. A devotional I read this week describes a man from Seattle who tried to steal gasoline from a motorhome. Attaching a siphoning hose to the vehicle, he started to work. But the police found him shortly afterward writhing in agony in the street. Seems he had attached the hose not to the gasoline tank, (laughs) but to the motorhome's sewage tank. The owner declined to press charges. He was too busy laughing. The author went on to say that facing the consequences of our sin, however, is no laughing matter. In fact, Colossians 2.25 says, He who does wrong will receive consequences of the wrong which he has done. Some people think when they confess their sins to God, he dismisses the consequences, but that's not always the case. He does forgive the guilt. He forgives freely, but sometimes... The consequences remain. When we sin, it's important to confess it and accept God's pardon, but better to avoid sin in the first place. Today we're going to talk about David's sin with Bathsheba. So remember the last part of the story, Bathsheba uh, was seen on on the roof uh, bathing, and David saw her, found out she was Uriah's wife, one of his warriors, and he had her brought to him, and he slept with her, and she informed him that he was that she was pregnant. So we're picking up the story in 2 Samuel 11, verse 6. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, hold them in the air and say, Word of God. Word of God. Let's open up our Bibles to 2 Samuel 11, verse 6 through 17. 2 Samuel 11, verse 6 through 17. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, how the war was going. Sure, it was an awkward conversation. Then David sent, said to Uriah, go down to your house and uh, wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from the military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, well, the ark in Israel and Judah are staying in tents. My commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in open country. How could I go to my house? go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife. As surely as you live, I would not do such a thing. Oops. (laughs) Well, then David said to him, "Uh, stay here one more day and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him. David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on the mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, 
Put Uriah out in the front where the fighting is the fiercest. Then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. One commentary summarizes, When Bathsheba learned of her pregnancy, David attempted to cover up his sin. He said for her husband, Uriah the Hittite, who was in the field of battle. Uriah refused to go home to his wife, even at David's insistence. Uriah did not want to enjoy his wife and home when the ark and the armies of God were on the battlefield. In desperation, David plotted with the aid of Joab to murder Uriah by exposing him to the Amorites in battle. The plot succeeded, and David took Bathsheba as his wife. The sin, however, did not go unnoticed, for the thing David had done displeased the Lord. So, David has sinned. The Hebrew, Hebrew word for sin is chata, means to miss the mark. It assumes the existence of a divine standard, which a person does not live up to. Pesah, the vocabulary of sin, indicates a conscience revolt against the divine sad standard, and achwan is a deviation or a twisting of the standard. However we read it, David had sinned. David the great king, David the great warrior, David the great psalmist, the poet, the musician, David the man after God's own heart, sinned. Why are we learning about a flawed hero? One theologian writes, Through David we are reminded that God is a realist. His book contains no let's pretend whitewash of believers. Not noting this, we may be helped to appreciate the fact that we can come to this God in spite of our own weaknesses. God won't overlook them, but he won't be crushed by our failures either. God knows that we are dust, as it says in Psalm 103.14. Psalm 103.14, he knows that we how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. So as we watch our flawed hero attempt a great cover-up to a great sin, we come to the question today. What lessons can be learned from David's entanglement in sin? Well, number one, sin tries to hide. Sin tries to hide. 2 Samuel 11.6 So David sent word to Joab, sent me Uriah the Hittite. Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, how the war was going. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and the gift was sent from the king, was sent after him. One commentator explains, Ever resourceful in adversity, David had a scheme for handling his present crisis. His plan was simple and essentially foolproof. Bring Uriah back to Jerusalem temporarily, have him spend one intimate night with his wife, and then send him back to Rabbah. Approximately nine months later, Bathsheba would have her child, Uriah would be ecstatic, and David would possess total deniability. Makes sense to me. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> this was David's attempted cover-up. One historian notes that 
Legally speaking, David committed a capital crime, punishable by death. David, not willing to sentence himself to death, attempts a cover-up. Why is it important to point this out? Because everybody does this. After doing something wrong, people try to remove evidence of the wrongdoing. Whether that's by coming up with a clever story, giving them a believable alibi, clearing the history on the web browser, hiding the drugs under the couch, or chewing gum to hide the alcohol on their breath, many hide their own guilt by lashing out with their own attacks and or accusations, or closing themselves off emotionally so that no one can get close enough to see the truth. Jesus says in John 3.20, For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. When we keep our sin, our emptiness, our fallen nature in the dark, we become puppets of the enemy. It's only when we bring it to the light that true healing can happen. Here's the key point. If sin wants you to cover it up, the right move is to do the opposite. It's why it's so vital to be in a small group, a life group. Find a discipleship and accountability partner that you can be honest with. Only when you bring it to light that Christ can shine his saving light upon it. Ephesians 5.11-14 through 14 says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes light. That's why it's said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What lessons can be learned from David's entanglement in sin? Well, first, sin tries to hide, so bring it to the light. And second, sin tries to spread. Sin tries to spread. 2 Samuel 11, 11. Uriah said to David, well, the, ark of the, Israel, the ark in Israel and Judah are staying tense. My commander Joab and my lord's men camped in open country. How could I go to the house to eat and drink and make my love to my wife? Surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. One historian writes, uh, Uriah's refusal to have sexual contact with his wife at this time was clearly an expression of his devotion to the Lord. All sanctioned military activity was a form of service to the Lord, and it, is required, and it required the Lord's blessing for success. In order to maximize the probability of receiving that blessing in military endeavors, David seems to have required the soldiers carrying out military assignments to keep themselves in a state of ritual purity, which necessarily meant refraining from all intimate contact. We find this in 1 Samuel 21.5 and Exodus 19.15. If Uriah had relations with Bathsheba, he would have rendered himself temporarily unfit for military service. In Leviticus 15.18 and thus unfit for service to the Lord. David knew that, and yet David tried to convince one of his best soldiers to, in effect, sin. To go against Levitical law and spend the night with his wife during battle. David, having already violated God's standard, attempting to persuade his trusting soldier to do so as well, attempted to persuade his trusting soldier to do so well as well. 
sin attempts to spread. And if one person is in sin, he consciously or subconsciously attempts to entangle those around him in sin. Whether that's your friend who is perpetually drunk and tries to get you out drinking with them, or it's a promiscuous friend trying to get you to fall into the same sin, or it's that friend that's constantly griping and grumbling and gossiping about everything in his life and wants you to participate too, or it's that friend who constantly tries to wear down your biblical beliefs so that you start to accept what society accepts as the new normal. They say misery loves company, well so does sin. Sin loves company. Don't fall for it. And I realize we are anthropomorphizing sin here, but we got to accept that sin is the work of the enemy that wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy anyone he can. And so while it seems that sin can take on a life of its own, it is the one behind sin, animating the sin that is our real enemy. And he will try to spread the disease of sin to anyone you contact. Reminds me of a story. Edwin Cooper was, a, was famous across America. Yet almost no one knew his real name. Coming from a family of circus clowns, Cooper began performing before audiences. When he was just nine years old, after a stint with the Barnum & Bailey Circus, he became a fixture on television in the 1950s as Bozo the Clown. In addition to entertaining both young and old, Cooper had a message for his buddies and partners every week. Get checked for cancer. Yet Cooper was so busy working that he neglected to follow his own advice. By the time his cancer was discovered, it was too late to be treated. Edwin Cooper died at just 41 years of age from a disease he had warned many others to watch out for. The author writes, Sin is far more deadly than most aggressive and fast-growing cancer. Sin kills and destroys everything it touches. From the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden until now, the sin takes, sin takes no prisoners. This is the purpose behind everything Satan does. Jesus said, The thief comes not to steal cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. Because of his evil nature, his hatred of everything good, the devil brings destruction to everything in his reach. Sin spreads. It desires to spread and infect as many as possible. So what's our response? If sin tries to spread, then our immediate response must be to repent and spread the light of Christ instead. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Instead of spreading sin, spread the light. What lessons can be learned from David's entanglement in sin? Well, first, Sin tries to hide, so bring it to the light. Second, sin tries to spread, so spread the light instead. And third, sin tries to escalate. Sin tries to escalate. Second Samuel 11.15 David wrote a note. In it he wrote, Put Uriah out in front, where the fighting is the fiercest, and withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. While Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah in the place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men of David's army fell. 
Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Let's just look up how messed up this situation is. David, to cover up his own sin, tries to get Uriah to go against his own sense of honor, be with his wife while the rest of his troops are engaged in battle, right? But when that doesn't work, he, he tries to get him drunk. And then that doesn't work. He sends him back to battle with a letter to his commander describing how to throw him to the wolves and then abandon him. Sin often escalates, and if we don't catch it early, it gets worse and worse and worse. Reminds me of a story I read. A lady named Selma Elmore was had a conscience that must have been bothering her. In October of 2010, the 44-year-old uh, woman flagged down this police car in Lockland, Ohio. She asked if there was a warrant out for her arrest. Well, after the officer informed her that there was, she started to run. Her previous warrant was just for failing to pay a fine, but her new problem was resisting arrest. It was a lot more serious. You see, sometimes we, we try to pretend as if we have not sinned, and then we run away from the consequences, but we always end up getting in worse trouble than before. Sin often escalates. James 1, 14 through 15, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is lured away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Sin often escalates. It rarely ever just stays a little sin. We can follow the path of David's sin and see how soon it escalated. Where did it begin? Well, the obvious answer is when he slept with Bathsheba, but that is not where the story begins. It begins with the simple sin of sloth. It does. In the spring, when kings go off to war, David stayed home. It said that he got up from his bed at evening, so that he had slothfully wasted away the day while his forces were at war, that sloth gave way to lust as he looked and desired another man's wife, and that lust gave way to the sin of adultery, and that sin of adultery quickly became the sin of deceit as he tried to hide his crime. That sin of deceit became the sin of gluttony, and then drunken and drunkenness as he attempted to get Uriah drunk enough to as he attempted to get Uriah drunk enough to sleep with his wife, and finally that sin led to murder. So, following the timeline of sin, we see how easily sin progresses to where the sin of murder started very innocently with the sin of sloth. In the same way, we can get entangled in our own sin in such a way that we don't realize how far we are falling that it is killing us until it is too late. We often don't realize that our own sin could be destroying our marriage, our kids, our work, our spiritual, physical, and mental health without even knowing it. We're spending multiple Sundays on David's sin and spent only one Sunday on David's defeat of Goliath. Why? Because right now we need a come-to-Jesus moment more than we need a good-feeling hero story. Sin is killing you. It's killing those around you. And that sin may be different for every one of us. If your sin is gossip and grumbling, it can destroy the lives and reputations of people all around you. 
can destroy their entire future. If your sin is anger and wrath, it can emotionally traumatize and slowly destroy those who love you the most. If your sin is lust and pornography, it will systematically destroy every healthy relationship you have. If your sin is sloth and gluttony, it will destroy your health and your potential to be fully used by God. If your sin is anxiety and fear, it will trap you in a cage that will keep you from all the good that God has for you. If your sin is pride or being unteachable, you won't hear a word of the sermon or anything God has to say to you. Whatever sin has ensnared you, and if you look deep enough, you'll find at least one of these, I implore you that sin will keep you from experiencing all the goodness, the blessings, all the promises God has planned for your life. Before any growth can happen, before any revival can break out, it needs to start right here. In repentance, in worship, in the light of Christ's presence. With that in mind, I'd like to end with a song. And if you would, let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Let the prayer of David become our prayer as well. To Psalm 51, Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. This is the psalm David wrote. Let these words wash over you and maybe be an expression of your heart. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the very time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. The snare of sin can capture anyone. Understanding how sin works and what it works to do can help us identify when we too are caught in this trap. Our point of action is this. This week, keep your eyes open for sins that we have become too comfortable with. And through repentance, walk in freedom. Thank you for joining us at the Positive Pastor Podcast, reminding you today and every day to stay positive, because God is in control. Join us next week.